most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent His own Son into our world to die for your sins, and we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. Today's Gospel is from Luke chapter 9. This is the account of the transfiguration of our Lord and the basis for the sermon today. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. the best times for sharing an invitation to come with me to church. They say it's Easter and Christmas, and the stats kind of go up and down which one is, you know, in the lead of being the best time to invite someone to church, Christmas or Easter. So I just think that there's a special place in heaven for a congregation that sends out mailers like this one. You might have seen, not seen this yet, but there's thousands of them that have been in our workroom this week because they're going out to Milwaukee, inviting people to worship with us at midweek Lenten services. That's right. Special place in heaven when you... We'll, we're going to take any Sunday. We'll take any worship hour of the year. I'm not just save it for the cute and cuddly Christmas or the Easter with all that fun. We'll also invite you to come and ponder the passion with us. Nothing says come with me to worship like we're going to talk about repentance this week. Would you come with me to church? We're going to stare at opposition and rejection in the face of our Lord. You want to come with me to talk about that? Can we talk about struggling with sin and dying? How about the lowly and shameful cross of our Lord Jesus? Would you come with me to talk about this? Not exactly, you know, that like winning sound or ring to it for an invitation to worship. But it's not very different from what Jesus told his disciples either. 
Oh, we're in such a special place in the Gospels when we get to the transfiguration of our Lord because it happens in just a peculiar setting and a time. The disciples had just said, after Jesus' own initiative, who am I, who am I, who am I? You are the Christ. And once you get there kind of that, that far, this is, this is from heaven that you believe this, Jesus says. My Father revealed this to you. Then it, takes that big curve, you know, that 180 of their expectations as Jesus says, and now if you're going to continue with me, let me tell you about the Christ. Let me tell you about what he does. The Son of Man must. How about that for a word? The Son of Man must suffer many things and be handed over and be killed. That was just a week ago. Jesus unloads this curveball to his disciples. And now what? It's with that backdrop that something special happens. Something special like this mountaintop transfiguration of our Lord experience. Because to simply bypass the valley and the suffering is to not understand what it means to be Christ, is to not understand what it means to be saved. It'd be like going to Easter, and Easter was just chocolate bunnies and brunch. But there's so much to prepare you for. There's so much to talk about in the middle that makes Easter what it is, that makes singing Alleluia so special. Easter dawn. So we're going to go through this. Jesus is going to lead us through it. Not only is there a must for him, but he says, and by the way, the second shoe drops, anyone who wants to follow me, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, right? Anyone who follows me must do, must. There's the word again. He says, must take up your cross and follow me. This is just my valley. We're talking about you after me, you finding the things that I love and say, and you, you living them out in your life is going to bring many a burden too. So today, we have to listen. Jesus is going to give us some counseling. Jesus is going to help us as he takes just three disciples up onto a mountaintop for a special revelation of his glory. And I'm asking that this glorious, I'm praying it for myself, that this glorious Christ, the one who connects cross with crown, that that glorious Christ would be our counselor. So with this setting and with this backdrop, Jesus takes his disciples and Luke, Luke clues us in that this is a huge discipleship moment because this is just, and Jesus went on a mountainside to pray and his disciples fell asleep or something like that. This is, and Jesus took Peter, John, and James and led them up a mountain. You know, we have language that, that tells us there's a specific event. There's a leading, there's a teaching. Shepherd Jesus is going to stretch his disciples' minds. I don't think in the backdrop this was pretty because Peter, John, and James just swung and missed at Jesus' curveball destination to Jerusalem and the cross. And they weren't happy about the whiff. They didn't like it. They were probably more than confused. 
Maybe they felt betrayed by the expectations of how this ministry and its momentum and where it was going, and now they have no, no clue how this is supposed to end. Peter could be ruffled under his skin. Jesus takes these three, how quiet is it, in the walk up the mountain, there to give them some special counsel, unique commentary. Luke is helping us tie it all together, the disciples being there, the, the things that happen on the mountaintop, the, what they're going to see, and the Father who says to them, disciples, listen to him. So I want you to understand the growth opportunity as Jesus wants to flip the, the script for them, that this isn't just woe is us season of Lent. This isn't just weak. It's not just lowly. It's not just shameful. It's not just detestable kind of Jesus. It's not just uh, the world doesn't like you, so nobody likes you kind of thing. He's going to, he's going to change it so that faith would speak and not sight in the days to come. He's preparing them for this cross. He wants the two to be in communication with each other, the mountaintop and the valley below. I think if you were to summarize this Sunday, I would think of it like gluey glory, not gooey glory, though it was definitely gooey eventually, but gluey glory. Jesus is taking his own glory as the Son of God his glory to save. And he's smashing himself, his purpose, his wonder, his might, majesty and mystery, and he's smashing it into the road that's paved with thorns and thistles. He's smashing it into the way of crown of thorns. He's smashing them both together in a combination you wouldn't separate them anymore. This is so urgent because first and foremost, for the at the heart of our faith, is what do you think of Jesus? Not just what do you think, but how God leads you to see and believe and trust in him. Isn't that what this day is all about? Because a time is coming soon when religious leaders would say what about this Christ? they dig open their Old Testament scriptures and say, we have this in mind for the Christ and that is not it. And they would mock and ridicule him. But instead, up on the mountaintop, for these three disciples, when they hear the religious leaders mock, what did they see? Moses and Elijah, the law, the prophets, the entire Old Testament standing in glory behind the Lord Jesus talking about his departure. This is no lowly thing. This is God's one word. This has always been his word to mankind. I'm coming to save you from sin. When I open my mouth, I show you sin, and now you see the Savior. It's all been about this. Those religious leaders, they can dig up whatever passages they want for their own interpretive agenda, but we have the interpretation standing in front of us. Peter, John, James, do you see it? Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. Go get them, Jesus. Go fulfill that plan, no matter how upside down it looks to worldly eyes. Their faith eyes are filled. They understand. They could understand. This was all about the glory of God for the salvation of mankind. 
The time is coming soon when a world would turn its back on Jesus at the cross. They would completely do a 180 and walk away from the worthless one. But for Peter, John, and James, what did they hear? This is my son. My chosen one. Listen to him. I don't know how to find a parallel for this. There's no experience we have. I don't find much of a parallel, even in the gospel accounts, for an experience that they had on that mountaintop with Jesus, what they saw and what they heard. Just try it. Closing your eyes and opening your ears to such a thing. The disciples were about to see a body bleeding, bound, almost as if Jesus' muscles didn't even work. So he refused to resist. And they, for Peter, James, and John at least, they saw a Jesus whose face was radiant, brighter than a flash of lightning. Smoosh the two ideas together and let them counsel you. So many people were going to be deflated in their expectations of Jesus, their faith, like popping and bursting their bubble, and they would walk away defeated and in dismay. But for Peter, John, and James, but we saw him on the mountaintop, We have seen his glory. What are you doing? What are you, you, doing, Jesus? We saw you behind the curtain. We saw you unveiled. What are you doing? What are you doing? Do you see it? How can you rid yourself of the question? How can you, how can you not celebrate the great lowliness from such heights? Now I see the heights from which you come to think that you have gone so low. What are you doing? What are you doing? So it's all smushed up now. It's all smushed up. Crown and cross. Glory and, and shame according to people, but the glory of God. It has some other commentary that's supposed to be left ringing in their ears that this was always the plan. This was always the way. Smush it together. Let glory be your counselor. And brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it. Christianity is a unique religion. It's not like how you think about Jesus and his suffering and death is some indifferent matter. Just give me the rule book and tell me how to climb the ladder to heaven. That's not our faith. Our faith is all about this person. Our faith is all about this one. Our faith is all about this Lord. And Jesus exactly understands this. It, what, it's what sings the song of the Gospels to us. And what opens up transfiguration to be as important as it is. Say, do not despair, no matter how lowly it, work, it looks, how dead it may seem. This venture is not one of defeat. This purpose comes from God and is divine. And he is carrying it out by the word of the Lord. And really by the word of the Lord alone. 
as the only counsel given to us by which we can be saved. You put your trust in Jesus, not in some random words put on a page, but in the words of this kind God. Let it be your counselor. What does this say? What is this glorious sight? Soak it in. What does it say to everything that is connected to God? What does it say to those who want to walk in the way of his commandments but struggle to do so? What does it say to those who wrestle with their circumstances and how a loving God could have me in such a position? What does it say to those with a hard calling of dealing with sin in someone's a loved one's life? And, and how do I bring it up and how do I be loved? at the same time. This is, this is quite the valley. This is quite the struggle. What does it say? It says that you're not alone. And it says that before you take up a cross, there's one who already has. I uh, spend some time shoveling snow, and I do it with four snowblowers is my joke because I've got some kids as my little helpers. So they, I do like the big hard swipe and then they come and take when the mountains, you know, have been kind of leveled a little bit lower. Then they can come and do the cleanup jobs. There's no cleanup after Christ. There's no sins left to be paid for. There's no cross that crushes by the separation of God that remains for those who put their trust in him. Brothers and sisters, we go the way of the cross, but you do it putting your trust in this Savior, and that is the most important thing. I think of the hard times you have in life, how valuable you find it to go and find someone you can talk to, Find someone you could just kind of let it out, even if it's just to air it out, even if it's just to help yourself think, get the words and process something. It's really nice when someone counsels you through it, opens your eyes to see it a different way. This is the way it is with every struggle we have in the face of this earth. This is the way it is with every challenge you have in life, every cross you are called to bear. We hold it, but we don't hold it in a vacuum. We hold it in a relationship. We hold it with a counselor. You can sit on your Heavenly Father's lap and talk to Him. Can you imagine taking your crosses just as Jesus did, going on a mountainside to pray? And with unveiled face, who are you praying to? God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. He's not showing us something that he is just once in one brief moment on a mountaintop. He's showing us what he's always been and what he willingly gave up to save us from our sins. If he is willing to do this for you, Is he not willingly also to hold your circumstance and your challenge and your cross in his hands and support and nourish and care for you through all of it? If he's willing to give up glory, would he not follow through for his child? Let him be your counselor. You see a Moses and Elijah radiant transform themselves by heavenly glory. In Jesus' presence, they had their struggles under the weight of the cross. They had their opposition in the world and dealing with a stubborn and stiff-necked people. They had a sinful nature and the temptation to despair and to throw it all away. 
Let them talk to you. Let this scripture be your counselor. Listen to that Old Testament in a fresh way and say, now there you are all at the end, just like the other cloud of witnesses of those believers that are my relatives that are in heaven and I see them in glory and they walked a hard road and they brought up tough things that they needed to tell me about with my pride, with my arrogance, with my sin, with my waywardness and we dealt with it in the Lord and in forgiveness and in love. They were counselors to me. They stuck to the word of God so that I would not be alone with the cross. You crawl into your father's lap. Father, I have something to tell you. And whatever it is, you pour out your, your heart to him. And he responds by saying, but that, that right there was my son whom I chose. It was not a fickle thought in my plan to save the world. It was from eternity. It was my choice. It's always the way I wanted to talk to you. It's always the way I wanted to love you. Always the one, the way I wanted to give you strength and perseverance for any battle you undertake is to know his name first. Listen to him. I don't go through the valley of the cross without a word from God or from this Jesus. I go through this valley with his words. Let them be your counselor. At the end of the account, the The cloud is gone, the voice is not heard anymore, and the radiance has departed from Jesus' face. All on purpose, all because the message had been sent, and they saw that Jesus was alone. But I think the disciples were now the ones transformed and transfigured as they walked away from this. There were things they certainly did not understand. I don't think they were putting this crown with the cross and connecting the two immediately like they should have in the context. Easy for us to do. They struggled to do it. But may your struggle not be the same. It is time for the season of Lent. It is upon us. It is a special time. Talk about our sinfulness in an honest and clear way. To talk about repentance. To talk about struggles. To talk about opposition in the world. To talk about opposition from our own sinful nature. To talk about the way of the cross. To talk about dying. But these are not sad conversations. These are not inglorious affairs. These are things that happen smushed up connected to the radiant glory of our God. So make your invitations because you know of something hidden to many but not to us. You know of the hidden glory of God that is in it, not apart from it, but in it with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace, and truth. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you.